The leader of a far-left movement who won nearly 20% of the vote in the first round of France's presidential election, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, told his 7 million voters in a YouTube address on Friday that he would not tell them how to vote in the final round runoff next weekend. As for himself, Mélenchon said he would cast a ballot and that it would not be for Marie Le Pen, the candidate from the far-right Front National, who courted his voters in a video of her own on Friday. But Mélenchon also refused to say, like the leaders of other parties across the political spectrum and celebrities including French football legend Zinedine Zidane, that he would vote for Le Pen's centrist rival, the former banker Emmanuel Macron, to stop a far-right um, movement from gaining power. And then it just goes through sort of uh, Le Pen trying to court some of the socialist uh, voters and, you know, a lot of sort of uh, media outfits from Charlie Hebdo to Liberation um, trying to scare people into sort of just endorsing or even just voting for Macron. Uh, but then at the end, uh, Mélenchon finishes like this. And besides, of the 7 million people who voted for me, Mélenchon said, I'm almost certain that only a small fraction part will vote for uh, Front National. I am not a guru. I am not a guide, he said, standing by his refusal to endorse Macron. I am a political leader who tries to shed light on the path. He added, perhaps hinting that he wants to keep his new party intact ahead of legislative elections that will directly follow the presidential vote. I think the most important thing he said um, within all of this, and we have to keep it in mind. Mélenchon predicted that forcing France to choose between a candidate of, quote, the extreme right and one of, quote, extreme finance would lead to political crisis and left open the possibility he would submit a blank ballot, a form of protest vote permitted under French electoral law. The appeal for unity to construct a barrage or dam against the rising tide of the far right, Mélenchon said, was in fact a disguised attempt to force voters like him, who profoundly disagree with Macron's economic policies, to endorse his project. Hello, friends and comrades. Uh, solidarity from the bunker. Uh, Ramadan Mubarak to everybody who's uh, celebrating. It's tomorrow. It's your little timestamp. Uh, we're virtual this evening. Uh, we're going through the uh, we're going through the plague, um, but we are here in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, and in the belly of the beast. We are with Super Producer Carl. Um, you can say, uh, Carl. I want. I think you're going to have a lot to say about this, so you can uh, you can say hello. Hello. Thank you. I didn't mean you can. I meant you should. Sorry. Uh, also, and as you heard uh, laughing there, a blast from the past, uh, a client advocate for Partners for Justice, super producer emeritus, and also uh, recently accepted into the University of Pennsylvania School of Law. I heard. Congratulations. Uh, Margaret, how are you? Thank you. What a title you've given me. You gave me like I feel like a duke. You just gave me like several intros into my. Yeah, I, try, I try to. I, I try to give. I try to give people the uh, the props they they deserve. So. <laughs> uh, also, local activist, organizer, and president of the Progressive Democrats for Delaware, uh, returning champion Jordan Pusey. Hello. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. 
Well, before we get into it, um, how are you guys doing? I know, Margaret, we we uh, sent some texts back and forth since we've been in quarantine, and I think, Jordan, we've, we've really talked since the last time you were in, which was a couple months ago. Uh, you guys have like a separate situation because I guess, Margaret, you're by yourself a little bit, and Jordan, you have a house full of kids and stuff. So you, yeah. you, guys, you guys have the two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, more or less. I was going to say, I um, I actually, luckily, I think, Rob, when you texted me, like, I was indeed, like, by myself in my little studio apartment, very much, like, quarantining alone. Um, but actually, my uh, partner who lives in BC <laughs> about three weeks ago. So now I am with one other person in a still very small apartment. Um, so different kind of crowded, if you can think about it that way. But things are, yeah. things are well. Um all things considered, which I feel like is something I tack onto every sentence I say now. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, again, like, I I feel like, very personally speaking, like, on one hand, like many other people, I feel very lucky. Like, I'm someone who was, like, privileged enough to, like, you know, not lose my job, be able to work from home. I feel like there's many things I'm very thankful for uh, in this moment. And I think um, at the same time, you know, I, I think this is kind of just like difficult for a lot of people and everyone in many different ways. So, so things are odd as usual, but they're also, I don't know, okay. And hopefully going to be okay with a lot of hard work, like full actors like yourselves. So just trying to hold on to that light. Oh, how are the kids holding up at the, uh, the Jordan house? <laughs> they're doing pretty good. Um, the lack of schedule has really thrown them off. They don't have their little places where they go anymore. And the weather has been meh. So it's hard to get them outside when it's raining. So, I mean, normal kid shenanigans. Elsa's doing good with her schoolwork. I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like none of my groups are really doing much right now because most of our work is in person. So. Yeah, I found it. And that's the one thing across the board, sort of everybody doing like organizing or things like that. Like, it's so important to be in person um to do it everybody's kind of like even even though there's some organizing happening and plans being laid and people still you know getting involved it's so um it's so at a distance and so virtual it's hard to get your heart into it yeah we need that human connection and to be around each other i think we all like kind of feed off each other's energies and it's strange talking through a phone for every single interaction outside of the immediate members of your household. Yeah, it, it is, it is pretty strange. You know, luckily I live in a place where people, you know, I, lo- I know a lot of people in the neighborhood. So, you know, people will walk up and we'll have a conversation across the sidewalk for an hour, have stoop beers or something. And it's just like, Oh, thank God for, thank you for talking to me. <laughs> like it's just like some interaction you have with somebody. Well, let's get into it. Um, my first impression of, the sort of the winding down of the campaign and into the coronavirus sort of thing with the, the National Democratic Party is that there's a lot of motherfuckers that are lucky that Bernie is an actual Democrat. Uh, you know, I, I think he, he, he's, he's always been that way, so I'm not surprised that um, we heard an endorsement from him, I guess, last week. Um, I, I don't know if it was full-throated. It's hard to say, as you said, because he did it over Zoom. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's a little weird. Um, but what was your guys' um, sort of first reaction to the Bernie uh, endorsement? And just how are you feeling about uh, the way the campaign ended just in general? 
Okay. Uh, I mean, it was always going to happen. Uh, there's a lot of people who went into this election pretending like 2016 didn't happen. And there's a lot of people who went uh, into this election pretending like 2016 was the only thing that could happen. Uh, this is one of those cases where it is just sort of like 2016 and that like Bernie Sanders has been caucusing with the Democrats for his like entire national political career. Of course, he was going to endorse Joe Biden. I don't think that was ever a question. Uh, I wish he had maybe held out for a little bit more. Uh, we don't know, like, did he win concessions? That wasn't really made clear. I've seen a couple articles saying that, like, he's helping choose people on task forces that are going to do various things, but that sounds kind of wishy-washy to me. Um, you know, he does represent, he represents the policy majority of the Democratic Party. I think that's pretty clear based on every single poll that has ever come out about Democratic policy positions. Uh, but the issue is that just that he wasn't able to get that 50% plus one that he needed in once it, you know, closed up to just those last two. Um, I don't know. I think it's really hard to do any sort of classical political analysis when the world is ending, uh, which I think is what a lot of people have had problems with is that you're either like completely nihilistic or you're trying to, you know, pretend like it's 2014 and everything's just, you know, biggest issues, the deficit ceiling or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, what do you think? I was really shocked because I really didn't see it coming. And I would have liked a better explanation of why. <clears throat> I, I think, I hope the reason he dropped out had something to do with him seeing how, you know, the DNC and Biden and the media were acting like it was okay to still vote. And that was really sacrificing people's lives and putting them at risk. And he made like that decision, you know, to sacrifice himself to save us. Um, as much as I wish he wouldn't have endorsed right away, I mean, he kind of has to. I don't know. It's such a hard decision. Yeah, I mean. Hard thing to think about because you don't understand, like, the underlying reasons. Yeah, I guess the only thing I rely on is, you know, the fact of the matter is, as Carl said, he's always been a Democrat, really. He's always <laughs> worked within the party to gain power within the House of Representatives and the Senate. Um, he's, he's now, you know, has, has seniority in the Senate. Um, and he said numerous times, if I will, I will endorse the nominee, you know, yeah. I, he, he said it, I, he doesn't lie. And so that's what he did. So yeah, it's, I mean, the timing was shitty because it was so close to him dropping out and it was so close, you know, and this, this pa pandemic was really starting to hit and people. So it was like a, it was just such a shitty time, but, um, you know, I, I take it, I sort of take it like that. I mean, it's funny because people were complaining about a month ago, was it, uh, when the article came up, the political article about AOC, uh, how she was, you know, trying to convince Bernie people to be nicer to Elizabeth Warren, uh, to, you know, work harder or to not do the Joe Rogan endorsement, stuff like that. Remember things that we cared about two months ago. Um, but yeah. ironically, she's now, like, being better about actually holding out and trying to move Biden left on policy stuff before, you know, she endorses him. Uh, I mean, the issue with all of this is that because it's a two-party system, uh, Mélenchon, you know, had a little bit of a wiggle room in France because they have like a five or six-party system. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not like AOC is not going to vote for Joe Biden. Like, it's never going to happen. So anytime you hold out for your endorsement, it's not, it's just, 
it doesn't work in a two-party system because like we saw when uh, Republicans were holding out their endorsement for Trump, uh, you know, he a vi- fucking video came out where he said he sexually assaulted women and everybody's like, oh no, well, we can't do that. Uh, and then two weeks later, they all re-endorsed him. So like this, there's so much politics that people are trying to play that there's, they don't have any power. And honestly, it's sort of a cart before the horse, it feels like, where it's like, we need some sort of electoral constituency that we are able to withdraw before we have any sort of power to make these demands. Yeah, I mean, I used the Mélenchon uh, sort of example, be- I, and, I, and I thought about that because they do have a multi-party sort of system like that. But just looking at the election con- context, where it was because it was a runoff of the top two, it was really an either or at that point. Now, you're right. He has more of a respons- a party responsibility that isn't, um, you know, in Macron's party. But, you know, just from a, from, a voting, from, a, from a voting and endorsement standpoint, we sort of did have that same binary choice. But, yeah, I, I did think about that. He's got, he certainly has other, other political things he needs to think about. Margaret, have you been able to follow any of this, or are you just are you just hunkered down and doing uh, doing other things and trying not to think about it? No, I mean, I you can't like not hear about this, right? I I feel like the way that like all of us are like plugged in, and actually, I don't know if I ever told you, you all this before, but my partner actually has worked for Bernie over the past two months, and so I feel like I've gotten like inklings back and forth, and like I feel like my feelings when all this happened too. Um, I, I just felt like tired. I don't know how else to describe them that. Like, I think it echoed a lot of the other sentiment of like, in a way, you know, it's not like I was surprised. And I think there are a lot of factors like, you know, being in like a fucking pandemic and seeing, you know, Wisconsin's a whole their primary vote. And like my whole family who lived in the US live in Illinois. And that was, and I remember when they had their primary, like a week into lockdowns, like it was, it was still just a nightmare and like it, nothing went well. And so I feel like they're, you know, is is this like cost and i think like probably that weighed into his choice um but i feel like when all this happened and like all these endorsements rolled through and just i don't know i i felt like i i felt like the same disillusionment i had with electoral politics that i felt probably before i ever got into like organizing or activism or knew much about this world which is that just like oh like the the establishment and the machine just rolls on huh like this is just how it's designed to be like the people in power like keep it on like I, I think there's a bit of like discouragement I felt there that felt like weirdly deja vu-ish in that way. Um, and I feel like at the same time, like I think something I come back to all the time for my own conclusions. Um, and it's how I feel, I feel like in light of the pandemic and also in light of like the trajectory of Bernie's campaign has all gone is that I, I feel more and more fired up and focused to like turn inwards and focus on my local community and be like, what are things that like I can take in my own hands and that my other community members can take in their own hands? when people in power ultimately fail us essentially um so i guess those are those are my feelings yeah i mean that's sort of where i i have obviously everybody knows a very cynical view so i look at it the way you look at it about the the party machinations um just were never gonna work um i look back think back when uh keith ellison was going to run and lead the dnc and he really didn't have any kind of, um, you know, legitimate competition uh, until Obama made his move and said, "This is I'm picking this guy. Uh, I, I'm gonna. This is the guy, the, the establishment person." And 
you know, once the, the, once the powerful uh, folks in the party want to do that, that's what gets done. Uh, you know, and it happened again. You know, Biden couldn't fill a 50-person room in Iowa two months ago or whatever it was, three months ago. I don't think uh, he still could. He probably still can't. I mean, they they sent they sent uh, out the the all the old all the old heads and ass kissers from from here to go out in Iowa just so it wouldn't be a a disgrace. He still got humiliated. He got humiliated. Yeah. He, he did. He didn't do anything. In, in, uh, he left uh, Nevada early. Um, so yeah, he was humiliated. But he was in. It just so happens that South Carolina sat where it did, um, so they could make a move there to open that to you know to open that uh, to win by a bigger margin. And then Obama could, you know, could, you know, accelerate the end game, like they said in the Times. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not mad about it. I mean, I ex- this is the things that I expect to happen when we say we're not about it. <laughs> I mean, just because you're not like, even if you're not surprised, you can still be disappointed. Mm. Because yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the enthusiasm gap. Okay, Joe Biden's pulling out voters somehow. But his enthusiasm is what at like twenty four percent. I mean, yeah, it's twenty. It's twenty sixteen all over again, as far as that's concerned. That's what's scary, and I. Yeah. I don't want to hand Trump another term, but the. I don't see how we're supposed to do otherwise. Yeah, well, here's what I'll do. I, I heard. Um, well, as everybody knows, and and probably who's online at least. Uh, Noam Chomsky was canceled again, uh, which I appreciate because I'm or I'm canceled intermediately, you know, every so often. And every four years when Noam Chomsky says, don't vote for a fascist, he's canceled again. Um, but I actually, uh, somebody who sort of has changed their rhetoric this time around is Cornell West. Um, he didn't come out and say a lot and he did vote for Jill Stein. Uh, it didn't matter. He lives in Massachusetts, but, um, he was on the Michael Brooks show last night and, and he said this, and I thought this was a lot more, a lot stronger rhetoric than uh, previously uh, in, in 2016. We must push Trump out. I do believe in an anti-fascist coalition, but I don't believe in any way holding my tongue when it comes to neoliberal captivity to capital, captivity to empire, and captivity to white supremacist forms that are supposedly anti-racist but become diversity only in class hierarchy and only in imperial hierarchy. So he's, you know, I'm going to make the argument that in swing states, you know, you vote for Biden. It's a, it's a binary choice. I'm not voting for Biden. I'm leaving the line blank. And I'm certainly not going to, you know, knock on, I'm not going to lift a fucking finger. But I do understand that you know, people from a strategic standpoint probably need to just do the smart thing and vote for Biden this time around. If you live in Ohio, if you live in Michigan, if you live in Florida, if you live in North Carolina, um, if you live in California, do whatever you like. Um, and the other part of it is about people being sort of bullied or bullied about it. I have two thoughts about that. Um, one is... Uh, there's there are moral reasons not to vote for Joe Biden in any circumstance. I mean, we could go down the list of them. There's dozens. Um, so there's no point in cajoling or yelling at somebody to do something that they're not going to fucking do. Um, you know, the people who voted for Jill Stein or Ralph Nader or Howie Hawkins were never going to vote for a corporatist. 
So just get over that. That's, that's just ridiculous. And vote shaming doesn't work. No. I mean, there's like kids doesn't work. Like shame isn't a good motivator. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> it actually like, it's like an ultimatum. It makes people like want to do the exact opposite of what you're trying to force them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second part to it is, you know, I was told, you know, personally, and I'm sure all of you were as well, just because it's a common thing that we don't, we need to convince, you know, I know people, oh, the small business owner that voted for Trump and, and owns a boat, he's never going to vote for Bernie, but maybe he doesn't like Trump anymore. Um, so what about that guy? Or, or what about these guys at a bank? They hate, they hate, but they're never going to vote for Bernie. Uh, they'll even vote for Trump if it's Bernie because they work at, you know, Goldman Sachs or BlackRock or whatever. So, okay, I've, we heard that over and over and over. If that's the case, then go fucking talk to those guys. Go talk to those people and make sure that they get out and vote. You know, like you said, I don't think Biden's going to – luckily, he doesn't have to fill a room now because <laughs> he can't. He better but, not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand why you spent a year and a half telling me that really the people who are going to swing this are going to be the, the bankers and, the, small, and, and the, the suburban people who just don't like Trump because he's like – crude or you know whatever then you know what if you're worried about the election because you nominated you know somebody who's you're going to have trouble dragging them across the line then you know go talk to the suburban people tell them to phone bank or knock on doors or whatever or don't i mean i don't know but i I, you know i can't there's nothing i can do about that now that's over like you decided to go the way you wanted to go so go do that I, I can I can make a strategic argument for voting for Biden, but that's that's all I'm going to do. I know Margaret's probably going to phone bank for Biden now that she's in now that she's in uh, Delaware. She's probably gotten sucked into the to the system. She's oh like, no! I feel like if anything, I literally made this comment to someone the other day, which is that I was like, I remember when I first met Rob, like who and like Rob, we met, and you were like, I'm going to go into like this protest. I'm just going to like be that person who like yells at everyone and makes a really loud scene. And I, I think, I think I met you at first and I was like, wow, I've never seen like that before. I don't really get, like, I don't think I could do that. And I feel like now I should choose in a Delaware. I'm like, wow, you can't trust anyone. No one listens to the community. I just want to do what Rob does and go in and yell at people and be like, what? You just like fucking listen to us, like burn everything down. I feel like if anything, I've honestly moved more towards the Rob side. Radicalized by Rob. <laughs> exactly. Then maybe like uh, the, folks, the Delaware way. Folks. We got another one. Well, yeah. you could always phone bank for progressive candidates that we actually support and just ignore the national race completely. You can talk about the themes at the national level, but focus on who's going to get those passed here, where it affects you the most directly. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty to do here. Uh, Carl uh, has some has some candidates he would probably like you to, to help out. Uh, <laughs> I can think of one specifically, but yeah, Jess. I mean, there's so many we've oh, talked yeah. to. Yeah, we've talked to so many of them, and I think that's where we have to, um, from an electoral standpoint, anyway. And if you're going to put any time into it at all, yeah, that's where you have to put your time, because you know, if 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 centrists or, or people on the internet think that they're going to think that they're a good way to waste their time is to like bully me i mean that's fine i'm not i'm leaving the line blank i don't i don't know what you like i don't know what you're gonna tell me um you know i've thought about it 
I agree with there's a there was a great piece just dropped today in the Intercept. Uh, Jeremy Scahill wrote a long essay about Biden's awful in a hundred ways. Here are the ways, and there's moral reasons why not to vote for him, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, from a strategic standpoint, you know, there's a they aren't they're not the same. You know, and that's true. They're not. They're not the same. So, you know, in an electoral realm, yeah, if you if you're in Ohio or Wisconsin, yeah, vote for Biden. But I'm not going to try to convince you to do it. I'm just going to tell you that's what you probably should do. My favorite trend has been uh, people on Twitter who will, <clears throat> if you have like a centrist who's going on about how you need to vote for Biden, it's so important to get Biden in the office, and people just ask them, "Well, have you phone banked for ML? Have you knocked doors for him?" Never, not a single time, because he just didn't campaign and he relied purely on like the the Obama thing and on the, the free media he got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and that's you know we're never gonna, you know, it's ironically it's something that works on a bigger scale than on a smaller scale because on a smaller scale like you can actually at least before the apocalypse, you could go out and you could actually, in like a state rep election or a state senate election, you could actually go out and talk to every single person in your district three times. And you can really build up, you know, some sort of repertoire and you can understand their issues and make sure, hold them accountable, make sure they get out the vote. Whereas Bernie Sanders had, I think, probably one of the best field operations size-wise in history. Just in terms of like the number of doors they were able, able to knock, the number of contacts they were able to make. And yet, America is a country of 300 million people, and it's really hard to get a significant proportion of that to actually come and out and vote for you, especially, you know, when they have so much going on in their lives. So, yeah, it's just now you can't discount that that media narrative that Bernie is the boogeyman. And I think a lot of the people, they don't even have never looked into his actual positions. They believe the little snips and clips they hear. Oh, he wants to tax you at 70%, no matter how much you make. And things like that, instead of like, you know, looking at the actual policy. Yeah, Whereas I mean, Joe Biden, because it's the corporate controlled media. So, of course, they're going to gloss over the, like, the transgressions of the people who will be easy on them and on their bottom line. Whereas the people who might cause them a little pain in the pocketbook they're going to attack and they're going to attack ruthlessly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. You can see the, the, the party machinations that happened South Carolina. And then before super Tuesday, it was everybody against Bernie. Yeah. You know, if, if you know, say South Carolina wasn't next and somewhere it was next that someone else could pull out, you know, a victory, they'd have had to go a different way. I mean, Buttigieg, I think, was doing better than now. Of course, in national he polls, was he was doing better than Biden. In national polls, he he wasn't ahead, but he was campaigning. I think his campaign was more successful. I think in Amy Klobuchar's campaign was more successful, but that didn't really matter because it's not. He's just a play. Biden's a placeholder president. He's his name's not Trump, and as long as he has the backing of the party, and he's not Trump, they believe that that is enough. And well, good luck. I guess I guess that's it. I mean, and he's not as cruel as Trump. I mean, there is a vein of cruelty in the Trump administration that's really been unmatched. 
Oh, yes. And, and as I said, and, and Scahill makes this point in the intercept, it is not right to say that they're the same. There are, there, are, there are very significant differences you can point to and say, okay, this, is, this, would, be, this would be different. I mean, a, a very good one people are using is the, the pandemic now. Um, you know, there were, there were structures in place to catch this earlier, to get information out, to organize a response uh, on, the, on, the, on the logistics side and on the medical side, and they just dismantled all of that. So mm-hmm. when, you know, three years ago when, you know, Steve Bannon went to CPAC or whatever and said that we're going to dismantle the uh, administrative state, what he meant was when a pandemic comes, there's going to be no help. That's what that means. And yeah. so obviously a Biden administration would not do that. That's clear. No. So I, 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 I want to stick my toe in this, in this water and get your, get your feelings for it because I, I haven't really even – uh, fleshed out my own sort of final verdict on it, but I think I, we're going to have to start writing uh, a eulogy for the Me Too movement uh, because Joe Biden did kill the Me Too movement. Um, I don't really know what it, I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know like what it means for victims of of assault and and harassment, and I, I don't like. I don't know, but it seems pretty clear now that none of that was really real. Um, at least the the advocacy part, the political part, um, it was just power moves. Uh, it kind of makes me sick to my stomach because um, I still feel the same way about it. I, I talked to Carrie Harris about it. Um, her and I went down with a group of people, and we were at an action. That was um, basically done during the judiciary hearings for, for Kavanaugh. And so I, not only do I have strong feelings about it, I've been out and about about it. Um, but I think that the, the bad faith, cynicism, political part of it just laid bare makes it pretty clear that as a, as a slogan or as a movement, that's probably over. Um, I mean, I don't know, Margaret, what do you, what is your takeaway on, you know, the allegations against Biden and what it means to the larger sort of picture? Um, I, I think you make an interesting point. And like, I feel like I have had complex feelings, honestly, ever since the beginning of like the Michi movement when it happened. Like I, I can remember the day it exploded on the internet. Um, and I, you know, like many, many other people and many other women and many other like queer folks. Like I, I, you know, I, I take no shame in like seeing the fact that I'm a survivor of assault. Like, I think, I don't know. I, I think like as someone who this is, you know, extremely personal to, and that's the same for many other people. I think it started, and especially if you listen to or, or um, have the privilege of talking to uh, Tanya Burke, who, you know, was the, originator of like this um movement of me too before it became kind of like a very mainstream hashtag and movement i suppose um it, it's all about i think like being seen and like assault and this topic is is you know way too frequently so frequently something that happens behind closed doors you feel a lot of shame about you feel a lot of uncertainty about and i think there is a validation in the beginnings of that that is so important 
And at the same time, I remember my very personal feeling about it when it all happened was that like, who is, I, I feel like, who is this for? And I feel like so much of the Me Too movement was like not necessarily focusing on the people who needed this healing and who just wanted to be seen. And so much about like the backlash and like, of like those people need to be like validated somehow. And I feel like my, my initial really strong feeling was that like, you know, why do I have to like, why just, why, why does it take like, me and all these like, people to like, essentially like have to expose yourself like this in order for you to like, even see or recognize the hurt you've been through. I think like I had, I had such a strong like frustration and like sadness to that. And I feel like that in itself has propelled and gotten so strong throughout the past few years. Like, like even like, I feel like every time Me Too has been brought up recently, it's not talking about the people who are hurting and should be healing and who needed this solidarity with each other. It was more about like the backlash of it of like, Oh, like look at these like people, like, like making a big deal of nothing or like whining about something. And I, I feel like that, like, I think there's that aspect of it. And then like, also like this weird, I don't know, like really celebrity, like focus, like image driven part of it too. I, I, have, I think what I'm trying to untangle is I have like very, a lot of complex feelings about it. But I feel like every time it gets tossed out, at least in my years of the past year or so, it's this like, it's not about the people or survivors because themselves. It's it's about on, almost like this, just like backlash and perception of it instead. And I think I have really complicated feelings about that as a result. Jordan? Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she basically summed it up. Um, you know, because it, it, it is nice having solidarity with the experience women have with sexual harassment and assault and how, you know, you're either not believed or you're told to shut up and other people's lives are always deemed more important. Like, it's never the right time to say what happened. And it hasn't really been centered on survivors as much as it should been. I feel like a lot of survivors were held up as props um, to make people feel better about themselves. Like, oh, yes, we're going to support you. But if you're not going to support people who accuse the men that, you know, are on your side that you support, I mean, that support doesn't exist. And none of us were there with Joe Biden. So, you know, I tend to believe survivors. It's really sad that so many of these Me Too people like Alyssa Milano remove the hashtags from their bios and are really cannibalizing women to support a man. But also false allegations can be terrible. So it's like, you know, I, yeah, it's hard. It's like, very you know, fraud and I don't want to be like, Joe Biden's a racist piece, or a rapist, I guess I could go either way, a rapist piece of crap. Um, but I mean, we need to like really pay attention to the allegations instead of going through people's tweets and be like, Oh, she's a Russian agent. Like it's like this character destruction of people that are coming forward. So something obviously happened to compel this woman to speak. Now, if we're going to take other women seriously, when they're speaking out against Republicans, we really have to look within ourselves and take those accusations seriously against our fellow Democrats or else we're just hypocrites. And we're going through this with so much more than me too. I mean, there's like blatant racism and homophobia and, you know, and we can't just keep turning a blind eye when it's our team. It's infuriating. Yeah. And Jordan, I feel like you nailed something that's, like, really, really important about that, right? Which is that, like, I feel like Me Too so quickly just became, like, this, like, hashtag and image you could stop on things. But, like, we didn't, like, you need the action to back that up. And, like, it's a really complex topic. 
And like you said, like there, there are a lot of ways if like you're too rash about like treating it, it, it results in a lot of harm for a lot of people. Um, but the very least people need to do if, if they really mean, or like, you know, are going to put their might where their words are. Like, I, I don't know what the phrase is. I totally butchered that. Um, but it's to, like you said, like put care and thought and into that. And like, you know, I, I too, like generally a policy of like leaving survivors because you don't, I, I feel like I have a very, you know, deep sleep belief that like you, you don't put yourself out there like that or put yourself to that risk when nothing happened. And I feel like so often when allegations come up, like, you know, people ask questions of like, oh, like what exactly happened? What concretely happened? And I think my perspective is that like the fact is if you're talking about like trauma, there are so many reasons and ways why like the brain doesn't remember everything concretely and like why there are hazy facts, like not to mention just like the just circumstances around like those incidents themselves. Um, and I feel like, for instance, like, you know, for me, like seeing like the, the whole Biden incident is that like, it, it's that gray area that people like struggle with, right? When you can't like nail something concretely, like, like we know, or at least in my perception, I know that like Biden is someone who definitely seems to cross boundaries with women. Like we know he's overly touchy. And so like, for me, like, I think for me, like seeing these allegations happen, it's like, you know, maybe the concrete facts like are different. People are saying different things, but in the end, like we know this is someone who crosses boundaries and like we need to have a discussion about that and not just like when it makes us feel uncomfortable, like wait away from it. And like you said, like for people who are going to go after, you know, who maybe are, are feel like they're Democrats and go after Republicans about that action behavior, like you have to like then like if you really are going to be believing survivors and actually believe this movement, you have to then turn that critical eye when that happens to your own party as well. Like, I don't know. No, I, I, I think the, the thing you guys both said that's um, so important is this idea that like you, sh you have solidarity with um, the victim and the person who had the trauma. But I think not only did it become sort of like hashtag resistance or hashtag this or sort of like a, a media thing, it also became a political thing so if 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 it's if it's generally used as a political tactic even if it's true um you're you're in a world where people are going to fight you regardless like i look at it and i don't, i guess this is provocative i don't i don't know you guys will have to tell me how provocative it is but I listened to uh, Tara Reed's uh, interview with Katie Halper, and I've lived in Delaware my whole life, 45 plus years. Um, so I've known Joe Biden my whole life, basically, in public life. And it's a small place. Everybody knows everybody. And listening to her story and knowing Joe Biden for that period of time, Joe Biden raped that woman. Or assaulted her in a sexual way that was very, very serious. Um, and we're all going to have to just live with it. Uh, we have to show the we have to show the victims solidarity. We have to move forward in some other way outside the political realm. Uh, we have I, I don't know what that is. Like I don't know how to deal with that contradiction. That I understand 
that I believe her story and exactly what he did. And there's nothing we can do about it in the political realm. We have to somehow take that and do something else with it. I just don't know what that something else is. Maybe that was too provocative. <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean, it's not even that provocative because that's what basically we're being asked to suspend all disbelief. Right. And ignore it um, because obviously it's not true. He would never do this, but I don't know. He, he needs to accept that the way he touches people isn't appropriate. And when you make a video apology and then a week later go up on some union stage and make jokes about consent, it doesn't lead people to take you serious. And it's very, very insulting that you make light of such a serious situation. And I yeah. think they really need to understand that. And not only that, it has no, it, it has no political uh, cost. Uh, yeah, really. It costs nothing to be like a decent person. You know, okay, people are uncomfortable with your behavior, change. Well, and it also has no political cost for Biden to lie. So we just have to get past it somehow. It's like we're talking about something. Um, I don't know. Like there's um, – what did, what did uh, uh, Gould, Stephen J. Gould say? Non-overlapping magisteria. So he was talking about science and religion, and people try to like this disproves that or this disproves that. My belief goes over this. They actually don't overlap. They're, 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 they're two things in separate realms, and I don't know – how uh, we certainly need to hold people accountable and change the culture. I just don't think that media sort of doing it in a political space is, is where, I mean, Hey, look, Harvey Weinstein's in prison. That's good. Yeah. So fuck that guy. I mean, yeah, that's the best thing. If people are more comfortable speaking up cause they know they're going to be heard. That's the most important thing that could come of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, justice doesn't always come. I mean, my niece was abused by her mother. Her mother's walking free, has never been charged with a crime. It doesn't always work out the way we want it. Well, on that somber note, I'm <laughs> going to uh, we're going to we're going to move into phase two of this show, but we're all we're going to say goodbye to uh, to our friend, uh, super producer emeritus Margaret. She has some more organizing to do. So, um, thanks for hopping on, talking to us. Of course. It's always so good to see you, talk to you, see how you're doing. Uh, I missed the red glow of the bunker, so it was nice to see it on your little screen. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, and Jordan, I don't think we've met before, but it was also a pleasure sharing this space with you. I really appreciate yeah, it. Same with you. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Margaret. Sounds good. Take care, y'all. Bye. Here's the background for me. I see, I think yesterday, a, a random, a random tweet from a, a a local, politically connected person. We'll say, and it just says something like, "A centrist or moderate bullshit is blowing up on Facebook right now," or something like that. Well, I love this stuff, and I figured like it's usually like wine moms 
like going at it, <laughs> which is like my, that's my wheelhouse. I want to hear some fucking wine mom stories. So I, <laughs> so I see this and I see it's only a couple minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes old. And I said, Oh, maybe I'll catch her online. So I, I hit her up and I'm like, so what's going on? Like spill the tea. What's up? She's like, check out this guy's Facebook, Jim, somebody, what's his last name? Maravellis. Maravellis, Jim Maravellis, Facebook. And I said, I said, uh, I don't have Facebook. Uh, never had it. Who the fuck is Jim Maravellis? I didn't even know who it was. <clears throat> but then I realized, uh, then I realized, I uh, just Googled a guy's name. He must be somebody. So I Google his name. I see he's the AFL-CIO guy. I'm like, oh, this must be fucking good. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I, so I, t- I, I sent you back. I said, I, I know who it is. So, you know, whatever. And she said, did you, did you see what he did? I was like, no. And so she sends me the, the meme that he sent, which is like, a, a, I guess, a Chinese or an Asian person uh, eating a turtle. Uh, and it says, you know, the next case of coronavirus. And I'm like, well, that's fucking stupid. It's just stupid on its face because, you know, Jim Marvalis lives in Delaware and he knows all his members, all those fucking hillbillies and hicks. They eat fucking muskrat and possum off the road. Uh, they eat fucking crabs. Snapper soup too. Snapper soup. Like what? So like what the fuck? It doesn't make any sense. First of number one, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, number two, you know, it's just the old the reactionary move of you know the yellow scare or some horse shit. And so I'm like, oh, you know, this guy's a real dirtbag. You know, the more I thought about it, the more kind of pissed off I got because. Jason Scott told a story in here about going to a, some sort of fundraiser and seeing like a labor guy come in with just a stack of checks. And the guy didn't even know who the candidate was. He was just there to deliver this stack of checks to, to the candidate. And I thought, this is the fucking kind of guy that does that kind of shit. I'm like, what? Are, then I find out today that it, it actually, uh, there's a history, it goes way further back, that I'd like to kind of like highlight. I also find out that fucking Eric Razorsham is uh, sending out missives about, you know, basically backpedaling on the guy saying, I've known this guy uh, for 20 years and he's not. I got news for Eric fucking Razorsham. I read the shit today, buddy, and I got to tell you, it ain't great. And I read what you wrote. It's worse. That's my commentary. But, um, Jordan, what I'd like you to do is just kind of give us a little bit of background about what's been going on. And I know that you mentioned uh, progressive Democrats in Delaware are going to be preparing sort of a statement, um, you know, about what should what should be. How are we going to incorporate this into sort of the political realm and what the hell is going on? Um, But, yeah. So what's the history um, and sort of how is that breaking broken out in the last few days? So I guess, I don't know who shared a screenshot of his post, but um, Kristen Bricker saw it and she commented on the post that this is racist, stuff like this contributes to discrimination and violence against Asian Americans, shared an article, said maybe you should take this down and share this instead. Um, Eric had commented on the post and a lot of people were like disgusting pig talking about this woman like these people are garbage like a lot of very racist things eric only commented like a a vomit emoji with no additional like commentary 
So there's no way to decipher based on that whether he's saying, oh, this woman eating a turtle is disgusting or what you're implying is disgusting. Okay. So I guess Kristen called him out too, and then defensive things happened. Um, she tagged Timmy Sheldon because he also was posting some, you know, say no to China memes. Um, even though China isn't the only place that Americans are offshoring jobs, we're manufacturing all over the world and undercutting American workers. I mean, if they want to make the argument well, to plus, buy American, was, that's fine. But they're, they're scapegoating an ethnic group. Well, and then James, it, instead of just apologizing and saying, hey, I see how you see that. That's not my intention. You know, he's saying all you people, your trolls, all you're good at is like pulling bathroom stickers off of doors. Um, so I was able to read some of these comments and, you know, you know, she's posting about it too. And just reading the replies, reading the original, it was just disgusting. And it was just like very disappointing that someone in his position would feel comfortable saying those things and looking through some of his posts that are public. It is just very, the, the illiterate nature of his post, the targets of his post, the vulgarity, the kind of toxic, macho, my way or the highway. And I've met him a couple times and he's not terrible in person, but you can tell that he's a bully. I mean, a lot of these guys that are in charge of the labor movement are. I mean, I got screamed at by Ken on election day. Like that's not normal behavior. Most men would not feel comfortable doing that to a woman in front of a polling place. But this is normalized. And I work in the construction industry. So I'm used to being around rude and crude guys. It's, it is what it is, but it's your page and you're making this stuff public. There should be a little bit of introspection there. And I guess people scrolled back even further as far as like 2010 or 2012. And he's talking about, you know, carpet bombing Muslims and things like that and how you got to kill them all. That stuff is very disturbing. And it's not something that someone within the Democratic Party should be saying because it is racist. It is xenophobic. You know, um, I don't know how Eric can say, oh, I know his heart. Well, if he's posting this stuff publicly. It terrifies me to know what he would say privately. Well, and, and again, and this is directed uh, not this is not coming from any other uh, person affiliated with the podcast or or anything. And, and I don't know. uh I don't really even know Eric. I, I don't know this guy, but Eric, you do not know his heart. If, if yeah, and I think you know, Eric's stuff, I, I don't like he means well. I, I, I understand I that he's like okay, this guy. It's like that predator thing. Oh, you know, is Mister Al a predator? You know, the two uh, eagles are talking about it. Well, he's never attacked me. <laughs> yeah, I mean his target. The, the nature the same the, level the, of power. You're not gonna. Right. Let's be honest. The, the 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 labor the the labor contingency, as small or as ineffective as it may be in a larger scheme of things, has sort of attached itself to chamber of commerce issues, um, and 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 sends a lot of money to the Democratic Party. So Eric Razorsham has every reason um, to downplay this whole thing, when really you should just say this is fucking disgusting. This guy's a piece of garbage. Clean up your fucking act. And that's it. Like, yeah, just, I, it's, Jimmy, it's funny. think about what you're posting and what kind of an example you're setting for your members. 
We have more faith in you than that. Like, I, wouldn't even say, I don't even care what kind of exact, like you, we're not going to work. Well, with I you. think we should. I think we should. If they're going to be a contingency of the democratic party and you know, they want to be members like that behavior is unacceptable. Yeah, it's funny because I, I do, I have, I, part of me is sympathetic to the idea that, you know, you do a bad meme, uh, you use the wrong word uh, or whatever, and, you know, there's, there's, a, there's this complete chaos happens, and you have to, def- I made a mistake, or I didn't know, or I defended, like, I just use this, and I won't use it again, whatever. And so I, 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 I have some sympathy for that. Look, so my first reaction is to be like, okay, you know, it's, it's gross, whatever. Almost like the Eric's reaction with the emoji, because maybe he just saw it and was like, because I, I will say when I saw it, you know, I like turtles actually, so I had a little bit of a disgust reflex to it, but not because like I would have the same reflex watching somebody eat, you know, possum or muskrat, you know, in, in Newcastle or whatever. It's, it's yeah, I mean, it like when I see people eat clams live out of like the Indian River, I'm just like, no. But yeah, yeah. I'm not going to blame them for causing diseases. Like that's right. where you, it becomes. What you're doing strange. is saying Americans eat weird shit all the time. Yeah, what you're doing, I mean, what you're doing is basically saying the this these kind of people are are dirty and a threat to us. And that's yeah. that's that's extremely dangerous. That's extremely dangerous. Yeah, and and when not only is it scapegoating, it's scapegoating uh in a situation where again, we're all locked up in our homes for for over a month now and it's going to be another month probably at least. So like people are um, you know, it's dangerous. People are dying. It's it's a it's a dangerous disease, and to try to blame that on the cultural behavior of people who already sort of, um, you know, take so much shit to begin with, uh, is extremely dangerous. I mean, this is like a this is a classic sort of anti-Semitism thing. You know, the Jews cause this, Asians cause that. This, but you know, that's. It's, it's yeah, extreme. I mean, there's it's, been it's, the Nazis walking around with the, you know, the Jewish rat saying the real disease. So what's the difference? I, I really can't see it. I just yeah, there isn't. There isn't. It's just it's okay to act that way because it's just that's the way <laughs> that's the way, you know, 65 year old like bully union people act. You know, it's like. It's it's funny because I saw I saw another example that somebody had sent to me about um, COVID or Chinese. Maybe it was some something about blood type. Because his his answer was, "Oh, I have strong Italian Greek blood." Now I say that all the time, like, "Oh, I'm genetically predisposed," but it's not to be better than the Chinese. It's just like, "Oh, this Italian person just did this," and I make a joke about it. But like yeah. trying to say, like, I'm I, I like. I'm genetically superior to the Chinese. This fucking da- this is very, very, very dangerous. I don't even think I saw that one. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to uh, involve uh, Carl in this discussion, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it all of this. It's very troubling, and I just God, Jimmy. It was like if he just would have been like, okay, my bad, and stuck to you know sharing things that are like buy american do this do that you know being pro union and not so antagonistic but it was like the next post was like all right snowflakes <laughs> you know? yeah well that's the thing i i, I had <laughs> i had a, off on people and calling people snakes and 
you know, this is who I am. I'm a nationalist. Like that kind of, it's not, he's not helping himself. And I really no. wish he would think about it because he holds a very important position and labor is very, very important. Yeah. And well, I, I and that's like in 2020, we should be having to tell grown ass men that you can't act like this. Yeah. Well, that's the issue. And that, that was interesting that you, I was very interested in the detail that you provided that I didn't know was that the Kristen Bricker was the first to sort of step up and be like, okay, well, this is kind of like, uh, this is racist. It's a trope. It, it generates sort of, uh, you know, xenophobic, uh, problems for, for folks from, the, uh, from East Asia, um, and gave him an article to read. Like, you know, I understand sometimes that some of these guys get defensive if they're like, oh, you're immediately racist, you have to be fired, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I get why that the reaction might be. But I actually have seen uh, Christian Bricker sort of interact like this and sort of use it as a, like, this is what it is, this is the information, I think maybe you should rethink this and read this. Like, that's well, all even it is. Even with Timmy, um, when he posted the, you know, say no to China, share if you agree, she said, like, hey, she privately messaged him first. Same with the Democratic Party and asked them to talk to them. And it's just like, it, it, I don't I don't know if they're just like, okay, guys, all shocked. Like, can you try not to be racist? Um, it's, we have to be holding them to a higher standard. Because when you start seeing stuff like this, especially all at once, it really questions some of the behavior that they've had in the past and who they've targeted. Um, especially like councilmen who are people of color, our county executive who's Jewish. Like it makes me rethink their use of the rat. It makes me wonder if he's attacking Penrose and Jay because of who they are and like letting the other nine members who passed the apprenticeship bill or whatever bill he's mad about all the time off the hook. And he just singles them out constantly, especially Penrose. Like, and they're both very good legislators. Obviously, I'm a very big fan of Matt Meyer as well. So it just, I, I don't see his vindictiveness towards Karen Hartley Nagel, who abuses staff and is mentally unstable, or, you know, some of the people he's previously endorsed who don't show up to work, or Tom Carper, who is an admitted wife beater. I mean, <laughs> it, it really makes you question a lot of the underlying motivation. And I hate to say that. Well, I because don't. it could be wrong, but you don't say stuff like that and think it's okay no. if there's not some lack of empathy or some lack of, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, all what we're saying is there's there's a history of this sort of like, we'll call it male white chauvinism, maybe. Yeah, and a lot of people as president of PDD, are you going to release a statement? Are you going to release a statement? I mean, because if I was an Asian American and I'm seeing this and our party chair sends out an email talking about biting the head off of a live turtle and how great this guy is and how we shouldn't demonize racists. We should try to educate them. It's, it's demoralizing. Like you're asking the oppressed to educate and like demand empathy or understanding from your very oppressor. It's, it's like that emotional labor should not be on <laughs> the vulnerable <laughs> you know it's like yeah, you, my I, don't know, I read a lot of audrey lord and she's like you know always look at the oppressor within yourself 
you know, you have yeah. to fight that just as much as, but it's not on us to educate them of our worth. That's your own work. You do your own work. You figure out what's lacking within you that you have this problem with these people. It's not on the people you have the problem with that need to solve it for you. Yeah, but again, that's that's the that's where the power comes from because he doesn't want he doesn't want to have to face the fact that this guy's very problematic. Um, I I take it a step further, and, and you mentioned it yourself about labor just being an important part of a left coalition, and it really really is. Um, you know, Harvey J.K. was on the show a while back, you know, months back, and talked about uh, the Pullman Porters and, and uh, you know, the, the history of that, A. Philip Randolph and, and the, the, uh, the Black Pullman Porters uh, marching on Washington. Uh, I know I, I've listened to a, an interview uh, with Adolph Reed Jr., who's a, a professor at Penn, also a labor activist, uh, wrote uh, class notes. Everybody should read it. Um, talking about the time he has spent in South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, talking to um, working class uh, white folks in there and just getting an you know, doing research and, and, and things like that and trying to get them to be like, yeah, like, do you work for a living? Then these are important issues. Like you're kind of, you're, you're reactionary uh, and it's not helping your, your position as, as a worker uh, as a union member, uh, as, a, as a trade unionist sort of manager, it's not that kind of stuff's actually not helping you. Furthermore, this whole idea that China specifically has stolen our jobs—if they—if—if—if if, if we've, as a country, as a as an economy, have relied on Chinese slave labor for twenty years, the people that did it are still around. The people yeah, it's, that it's a direct result of the neoliberal policy. Yeah, I mean, your 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 friends, the, the, the your your cabal of sort of interests in Delaware, neoliberal sort of corporate conservative banking interests. They're the know, ones the, taking your jobs. They're the ones who fucking did it. So and like, they're keeping us down too with stagnant wages. Yeah, and, and, and so healthcare benefits. And so blaming China, uh, blaming you know uh, 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 Muslims. Uh, talking about uh, you know illegal Mexicans stealing jobs, et cetera, et cetera. That's not. You should be trying to get every uh, Latino and Latina worker uh, in this state organized and in your union. And making fun of of, of Spanish speaking people is not going to get them fucking organized. Yeah. And One so of my a, a my problem my with the- RD, um, Joe Denham or Durham. He was the carpenters union and he tried for years to get um, as many Hispanic and Latino people into his union as he could um, to build power. And he said he got immense pushback from other members. That's unbelievable. You know, and he was like, they treated him like competitors instead of brothers. And it's, it's, he, he was baffled by it. Yeah. And that's, that's actually kind of the most disappointing thing is because well, ultimately the the, the 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 organization and the power needs to be built across everybody having a common class interest. Well, I know don't. quite a few, um, you know, union people that were heavy Trump supporters too, and they're very pro gun as well. And what I was hearing in one meeting was that you know they'll vote for guns over their own financial future. So if we start talking about you know 
infringing on the Second Amendment rights in any way, they're going to drop the Democratic Party. That's why a lot of those gun laws failed. It was oh, because yeah. of the unions. Yeah, which is... Which, which is, I kind of agree, but... I, 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 I you know... I'm pro-worker and pro-Trump. They're not compatible on any level. He doesn't pay his workers. <laughs> right, but the problem is, and again, I, this goes back to the other... The other organizing problem is that the the alternative to Trump isn't doing anything for workers either. So True. at least at least supporting Trump gets you cultural sort of satisfaction. Uh, if you're a gun now again, well, and he's identifying a common enemy. That guy took your job. We're going to close our borders and kick them out. You know. Yeah, some I, of these people I, eat that up. Yeah, I just like I said because um, one of the things I think is going to be important going forward as a movement, like we said, now that the sort of national elections um, are sort of sorting themselves out, looking at local stuff and local organizing, is doing something about like doing something about the unions. I mean, thinking about the education union, Mike Matthews had to fucking give up his thing for bad post ten years ago. I know, and Mike's a, you know, he's a damn good advocate. Yeah, so he he's he now can... getting back into it. So, but I don't even like he has like he has the integrity and decency that when people are upset with him, he saw the problem, he apologized, and he removed himself from the situation to make people more comfortable. I don't think Jimmy has that same level of decency. I don't know. Oh, no, I, 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 can, I, have, I, can, I don't think he'd resign. I don't think his membership would force him to resign. I think it's even, it's just going to be a complicated relationship with the Democratic Party at this point. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I think that we can do is, is sort of what was happening today is just applying pressure to the party. That's why I'm so hard on Eric and, and, and Jesse is like, yeah, I expect a lot better from them. That's your that's your fucking job. Your job is not to well, they'll say, you know, their job is to get everything that they just want that money. But and and they want to appease a powerful interest. But this is going nowhere. If that's the if if that's not just be not just for cultural reasons, not just for so well, why, why it's racist. Where's the fucking line? Does he have to put on a full clans mask? I mean, does someone have to post like blatantly anti-Semitic stuff? Blatantly, like, I mean, that was blatantly racist. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't know where the line would be to where you're just like, no, you yeah. have to stop, or we're done with you. Yeah, and again, it comes because back your rhetoric mimics Trump. Go join him. Go join the Nazis. I mean. Plus, it's it's You're just it, like there's no it it doesn't there's no legitimacy. Sort of going back to the Me Too discussion. If if a Republican in Sussex County makes a bad post, and we and and the the uh, the, the uproar starts, and there's a demand for them to step down from their GOP party post or their candidate or whatever it is. But when it happens again, when it happens to someone who is uh, an integral part of your political power, 
then it's like, I, I don't know. It's like a big shrug. I, I, I don't know what to do. And all it does is hinder the growth of the labor movement. It hinders the growth of progressive politics because of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, and it's, yeah, I mean, you'll still get your, you know, how a couple, you know, $30,000 check from them or whatever it is, whatever you get. But like, to what end? We're, it's, we're going, we're stuck in the mud letting like this old boomer do racist jokes on the internet. I, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's pretty discouraging. It is. It really is. Because, I mean, the unions, they have benefit for workers. So much benefit. And, like, that's where the progressive cause and them should be on the same page. Obviously, when it comes to universal health care, there's been quite a bit of pushback because they had to fight so hard for good benefits that they feel like giving equal benefits to all will cheapen theirs somehow when that really isn't the case. It would only help workers in the long run. Well, and those living in poverty, even people who can't work. So there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of bridge building to do. I I know I I met with Jimmy when I was running for office with the e-board, and he was talking about environmentalists and how we just hate jobs and we don't want anything. And I was like, there's things we could work together on. I'm like, they wanted the upgrades for – the cool, the water cooling units at the PBF refinery. They've been fighting for that for years and the environmentalists want that too. And that's one of those things where it's like, okay, you're protecting the health of the river and you're creating good jobs at the same time. And PBF still isn't doing it because they're a garbage company. But I mean, there's a lot of things. We don't have to be adversaries, but they choose to be, especially the Coastal Zone Act was one of the worst. Because they see jobs, 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 but it's like at what cost? I mean, your men are going to be put in dangerous situations too and have their lives. I can't imagine working at a refinery. You're exposed to that poisonous air every single day. Are you going to live to see 60? I mean, they should have those same concerns about their own workers as with the surrounding communities. But instead of working with, they work against. GM was kind of a different story because of the asbestos. But I think that started because uh, they were non-union. And I think if they were union and it was the same situation, I really don't trust that they would have spoke up as much. Yeah, I don't. It's a complicated relationship. Yeah, I mean, like, it's I don't want to come off as like I hate unions. I don't, but sometimes their leadership it really it doesn't make sense. No, I mean, I don't hate unions at all. I, I just don't think I, I I just don't think this. I I somehow we have to harness the power of the worker. Yeah, into our where it belongs with us. But it has to be every fucking worker. It can't just be if you're in a selective group. Yes, I understand the importance of dues and things like that and how to pay out, and you know. But yeah, I mean, we from, need to advocate for every worker, regardless yeah. of whether or not they're in a union. Oh, absolutely. And there's and, base things that need to be fought for. Well, I think, I think we've just about done it here tonight. <laughs> Uh, this is gonna be like the Jordan fights Jimmy episode. <laughs> I like it. I, you know, I'd have the guy on, man. He's Italian, so I could probably talk to him. Like I know he's that. Greek. I thought he was Italian. What's his last name? 
Maravellas. No, nah, his thing's all about being Greek. He posted. Oh, I thought it was Maravelli. Maravellas. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get my Turkish friend in here. We'll go beat his ass. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I feel like there's uh, just like the me too thing. I mean, that's, uh, it, there's going to be this lingering, um, uh, sort of, we're going to, we're going to be at loggerheads with, with centrist who, you know, they're just cynical. They're going to be the way they are. They're going to call, you know, any kind of criticism. If you're like, Hey man, we don't really call people this anymore. They're like, what are you a fucking snowflake? No. I'm yeah. just, I'm just telling you, like you're in, a, you're, you're the head of a union, and you know you, you're supposed to be about everybody, you know, and you know you, you have like like people speak. Shut up, you fucking commies! Yeah, yeah, like like that's like a, that's what a union really is. Like I like I, I know that you you're doing it a different way because you've been able to get power that way and sort of hold your political power, but like this is where the party has to step in or somebody has to step in and be like. Yo, bro, um, you know this isn't going to fly. It's actually, it's actually counter. It's, it's, it's. You're working against us. We're going to do more for you if you kind of, you know, help. You know, stop being an asshole. But that doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work. Especially here, it doesn't really work because anybody, you know, a- anybody here who has any sort of power, whether it's a chamber of commerce, this guy Jimmy, whatever. You know, there's there's maybe ten or fifteen sort of people or groups like that, and unfortunately, they rely on these people for for everything. This is why we see such an. You know, this is why we see people still going out. Uh, you know, to to pretend like they're going to go work on Biden's campaign because they just it's just an incestuous little club, and we ain't in it. Uh, so. <laughs> That's just all. That's it. Well, I'm I'm looking very much forward to the uh, the PDD statement on all of this. I'm sure it'll be uh, well crafted and and biting. I can't wait to uh, to, <laughs> to go through. Yeah, it. I'm sure I'll get some phone calls. But it's not just me. I mean, people ask me to say it. People ask me to speak out, and, and members of our steering committee are not happy either. So, well, we've come to the end of another uh, rip roaring episode. We gave you two parts. We're huge givers here. Two parts. Um, I want to thank Greg and Two Stones again for supplying the bunker with a, a steady supply, even during this trying time uh, with the best kind of beer, free beer. So we, we thank Greg and Two Stones for that. Um, when you're on uh, patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker, please you know hook us up with a patronage. Keep this thing going. We know it's a trying time, but you know, we're, we're, we're trying to uh, expand this into some other areas, and it would be quite helpful. Hit us up, $5, $10 a month. It helps. Um, at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. And uh, we'll be speaking to you all very, very soon. Jordan, thanks again for uh, hopping on. Thanks for having me. Left is best, everybody.